This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 23rd, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The values of the Enlightenment played a key role in the rapid advancement of humankind on Earth, according to Steven Pinker, author of the new book, Enlightenment Now. Pinker argues that life is getting better across a wide variety of metrics, and we ought to understand why. Why write this book? If I read your other books and I see that all the trend lines are in the right direction, and Enlightenment values have contributed mightily to that, why take a victory lap in pointing out how great it is? Most people are unaware of the progress that I attribute to the Enlightenment. Uh, People think that globally poverty is getting worse, whereas in reality it's getting better. They think that uh, war is getting more severe, whereas in fact over the decades it's it's been lessening. Uh, So in measure after measure of human progress, people actually get the sign wrong. (laughs) They they think things are getting worse, whereas the reality is that they're getting better. Also, the, the Enlightenment project that I credit with these improvements is by no means a consensus. There are powerful counter-enlightenment movements from the academic and intellectual left, from the political right. So it's by no means a victory lap. So what is the most credible claim that you would attribute to the anti-enlightenment left? The most credible claim? Yeah. What, what do you think is the most uh, salient or uh, cl- what, what are the claims from the academic left that you say, I should really think about that? Uh, well, I try to address them in the, uh, in the book. I mean, to reproduce their, their arguments, they, which I, I don't accept, uh, they blame the Enlightenment for colonialism, for slavery, for the world wars, for the Holocaust, for uh, the threat of nuclear weapons, for possibly catastrophic climate change, for pollution. So uh, all of the uh, – everything bad that has happened in the last couple of centuries, uh, the academic left blames on the Enlightenment. Now, now, is it your sense that those people are just taking uh, the world that they live in as the default position – and saying, well, all of these other things that we want to do with the world, we're, those are improvements upon what we have now. Uh, yes, they, uh, imagine a, uh, a future where after Western civilization has uh, collapsed of its own decadence, something inevitably better will have risen out of its ashes, which I, I think is a, an unlikely pathway to uh, social improvement, given that, uh, in fact, there are uh, much worse uh, situations that not we don't even have to imagine them. They take place in uh, many parts of the world, and they certainly uh, were the norm in the past. Uh, do you do you have the sense that uh, many Americans have given up on reason and sympathy as you uh, you talk about them in your book? Well, uh, certainly, reason doesn't isn't as uh, prominent as it as it ought to be. Uh, <clears throat> there are. Uh, on both sides of the political spectrum, a, a habit of endorsing whatever policies are part of the brand of the political tribe that, uh, that, that one is affiliated with, whether it be on the left or on the right. There's a, a suspicion of science from both the uh, political right and the academic left. Uh, and um, 
just the notion that we should be open-minded about which policies make people better off, look at the evidence as, uh, as open-mindedly as we can, and uh, uh, adopt the policies that have the best track record of making people better off. It's not the, a major part of our political discourse. People's minds are made up. They just know that uh, this policy leads to that outcome without really um, w welcoming studies that would uh, establish the truth one way or another. To what extent do you believe Americans still hold, in general, Enlightenment values? It depends on which Americans, but uh, the, certainly the, uh, there are large parts of the religious right, including the intellectual religious right, who believe that the Enlightenment origin of the American order was a big mistake, that it just led to licentiousness, to homosexuality, to pornography, to abortion. Uh, to, to uh, general dissoluteness and that we would have been better off if uh, we founded uh, – if America had been founded on uh, explicitly Christian principles, for example. And then uh, as I mentioned, there's the academic left that, um, uh, that uh, rejects the uh, tenets of liberal democracy, of, uh, of markets, of the institutions that have uh, come down – to us since the uh, founding of the American Republic that hopes for some vague, uh, more socialistic alternative uh, and that explicitly rejects reason as a tool of oppression, that uh, rejects science as a pathway to better understanding of reality and just considers science to be yet another system of mythology. So yeah, the, the, the Enlightenment is very far from being a crowd pleaser. So how did we get to this point where there are people who uh, openly, openly reject the idea that reason is, if not a great tool, the best tool that we have for promoting our own flourishing and, and that of our fellows? Well, it's ultimately the only tool because even if you're discussing whether, whether reason is a good tool or not, you're using <laughs> reason. <laughs> There's just no getting around reason. It's... Uh, uh, and uh, how do we get to that point? Uh, it's there, there are different strands that have uh, pushed people into like-minded ideological tribes. Uh, uh, possibly the segregation of the country into uh, by education, by uh, profession, has led to enclaves in which uh, our um, common understanding has been uh, dissipated. Also, I think because of the, the critique of American institutions that accelerated in the 1960s, the recognition that despite the uh, uh, lofty ideals of the uh, American project, there was poverty, there, was, there were um, blunders and evils in uh, Vietnam, there was corruption in, in uh, Vietnam, uh, sorry, in uh, Watergate, uh, it led to a, a general cynicism about all aspects of American institutions that has begun to uh, infect the, the right as much as the, the left, hence the calls to uh, drain the swamp in Washington. Uh, and the, uh, the ideals that, that the uh, institutions of democracy are, uh, with all their flaws, are uh, a better way of running our affairs than alternatives like st strongman dictatorship and uh, anarchy. Uh, it's hard to find explicit champions for that view anymore. I mean, I shouldn't say it's hard to find, but they're, they're not influential enough. And, and that's true in the United States. That's true in increasingly true in Europe as well. 
That's right. Although there are, it must be said that there are leaders who've actually used the word enlightenment, such as um, uh, Barack Obama in his farewell speech. And he left office with one of the highest approval ratings of any American president in recent decades. Likewise, Emmanuel Macron in uh, his victory speech uh, endorsed the ideals of the Enlightenment. So it's not necessarily a losing proposition in the uh, in, in the words of politicians who know how to craft a, uh, a positive message. All right. So what do you tell people uh, would happen in their alternate reality of a country that is rooted uh, not in Enlightenment values, but in Christian principles or for people who ultimately reject uh, markets and uh, liberal democracy. Well, we've had we we have a number of alternatives in history. But in the pre-modern era, there were the wars of religion between Protestants and Catholics that had a death toll comparable in as a proportion of the population to World War One. We see today uh, that societies that. Uh, precipitously abandoned markets like Venezuela in favor of intrusive government control become both more dictatorial and more impoverished. We know that societies based on uh, nationalism and an ethos of blood and soil as opposed to a social contract can turn into uh, fascist dictatorships like in uh, Italy, Spain, Portugal, and of course Nazi Germany. Uh, We can compare societies like South Korea and North Korea that are similar in geography and culture but vastly different in quality of life because of the different political systems they embraced. So there's no shortage of examples to show why uh, liberal democracy is a, a really nice invention. So has liberal democracy and enlightenment values, have they made Americans or people around the world to the extent that countries uh, celebrate those values and uh, have adopted them? Are we happier because of it? We are. That uh, societies that... Societies that are liberal democracies with a um, an extensive social safety net are the happiest countries on earth and probably in the history of our species. So the happiest countries include uh, Denmark, Norway, New Zealand, Canada, Netherlands, uh, all, uh, all of them um, democratic, all of them affluent, must be added, and all of them with a, um, a pretty substantial so- social safety net. I believe it was uh, uh, Joseph Schumpeter who said, uh, you know, capitalism makes us flabby and then we have to deal with being flabby. Um, has the Enlightenment produced a society in which uh, that has set the stage for its own destruction? That is to say, it's easy to disconnect from those values as you pursue your own happiness? Um, I, I don't think so. Certainly, the uh, despite some backsliding in the last five years or so, the the um, number of democracies has increased, and uh, I don't think they're on the verge of collapse. Though they are, they are facing pushback from authoritarian populist movements. But it's not as if uh, they're getting so decadent that people are no longer showing up for work, uh, creating art, uh, coming up with scientific and technological innovations. So I, I don't see societies on, in uh, liberal democracies on the verge of a collapse from anomie and boredom and uh, a sense of meaninglessness. Also, they are the top destinations of people who vote with their feet. So people who aren't in them think they're a pretty good idea. One thing that, uh, that I, I found absolutely shocking, even for somebody who works at the Cato Institute day in and day out, which was the uh, 
uh, just a chart that you have in there featuring the number of nuclear weapons, uh, mostly between the United States and the Soviet Union, but in dramatic decline. Yes, uh, 85% decline since the height during the Cold War, with more reductions to come. Although it must be said that in exchange for getting Congress to approve the New START Treaty that um, set the stage for the latest round of reductions, um, uh, former President Obama agreed to a so-called modernization of the nuclear force. So there will be an, a pretty big expenditure on uh, replacing the weapons that we have at a time in which we'd probably be better off reducing it. Well, uh, in fact, heading towards zero. But there will be reductions in sheer numbers. Yeah, and it, but it, it seems like in, in some ways that's great. And in other ways, it, it seems irrelevant because our ability to blow everybody up is still there. It, it is still there, although every uh, armed weapon is, uh, presents an opportunity for uh, an accident uh, or miscommunication. Uh, and That's true. If, if there are a sufficient number of weapons, then we're starting to flirt with the possibility of nuclear winter or at least nuclear autumn, uh, whereas a smaller arsenal uh, takes that uh, off the table. How much of this is, is programming? I, I know people who are congenital pessimists. I know, some, I know people who are congenital optimists. And uh, it, it seems to me that to a certain extent, uh, the kinds of the pitch that you're making is just not going to get some people. It's just not going to reach some people. It's Yeah, and it would be grandiose to think it would reach everyone. So, yeah, <laughs> there are people that won't reach. Uh, I don't I, – I can, I can just say in my own um, uh, autobiography that uh, I haven't consistently uh, – put forward an optimistic vision of everything. When I wrote The Blank Slate the, the, uh, about the modern denial of human nature, and I argued against The Blank Slate, I argued that there is such a thing as, as human nature, and it has a number of um, dark impulses. It was something of a tragic view of the human condition. And for me, it was actually seeing graphs uh, that plotted improvements in uh, human well-being, declines in crime and slavery and uh, war deaths and child abuse and domestic abuse uh, that prompted me to write the book. It was really, it really was data-driven rather than temperament-driven. It, it's not and, the and and I think a lot of people have that sort of temperament as well, which is whatever they see around them is presumed to be. If you extrapolate it out to the broader world, the world must be going to hell if what I see around me is bad. You know, it's not so much what people see around them, but it really is what people consume from the media. Because people tend to be far more optimistic in describing their own lives, uh, their own schools, their own neighborhoods, than in opining about the country as a whole or the world as a whole. Sometimes it's like, it's like I love my congressman, but Congress as a whole is terrible. Exactly, and <laughs> and my the, my kid's school is uh, is is pretty good, but the nation's schools are going downhill, and um, um, my neighborhood feels pretty safe, but crime is increasing in the rest of the city. So there is that uh, that that um, misperception, often driven by a view of the world that's fed by news stories, simply because news consists of events. Uh, rather than trends. And as long as 
misfortunes and, and violence and suffering haven't vanished from the face of the earth, which they, they never will, there'll always be enough horrible incidents to fill the news. And so our perception can, can get out of whack with reality if it's driven by the images and narratives and anecdotes, and we aren't mindful of the trends and the recent history. I, I feel like we discussed this before, but uh, the, the last time you were here, but are humans... Uh, I, I mean, my sense is that humans are programmed to have a certain amount of uh, anxiety and worry about the world. And if it's not a big thing, it's a small thing. And by virtue of our capacity to worry about it, it becomes a big thing. There is truth in that. It's sometimes called the negativity bias, that, that bad is stronger than good, that negative events are, are way more on us than positive events. We, we dread losses more than we uh, anticipate gains. And uh, which probably served a function in uh, making us vigilant for the huge number of threats that could uh, could do us in. There aren't that many things that could make us uh, a, a leap better off, but there are a lot of things that could make us much worse off. And so we do tend to to uh, pay undue attention to them, and to for that matter, to listen to people who might point out risks that we may have overlooked. Uh, so, so we venerate prophets who warn us of, uh, of um, impending disaster. Stephen Pinker is author of Enlightenment Now, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 